Uh, hello, um, everyone. My name is Sarah. Um, I'm an alcoholic. I, I am in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I don't have anything prepared. I don't, I don't tend to prepare for leads. I was told at a very, you know, when I was young in sobriety in my first life, I, um, you know, I was told that the best leads come from the heart. So, um, I start with a prayer and ask that the words be brought to me. So, um, here's my, here's my wisdom and knowledge. <laughs> Quite shallow. Um, so, uh, I am an alcoholic. I'm also a psychologist. Um, I have my doctorate degree in uh, clinical psychology. I uh, tailored my studies to focus predominantly on forensics, which is court evaluation, uh, report writing, diagnostics, and recommendations for uh, for the court. Um, I uh, I. I've, I've lived two lives quite parallel. And I think, um, you know, as I've heard more and more chairs in my, uh, in my history, I, um, I'm not alone in that. I'm, I'm also not alone in, in this, uh, you know, feeling when I was young that I was watching life from the outside, that everybody else seemed to have it figured out, you know, that, um, that people social, you know, socializing and, and, you know, even smiling and having fun seemed to come more naturally to others than it did to me. Um, so I, uh, I was born in uh, Yale University and my father was uh, a professor of uh, pathology um, specializing in the GI tract up in Yale. Um, so I, I came from, you know, a relatively, I guess, uh, prestigious start. Um, but both my parents grew up very poor. Uh, and we, we, um, so I was kind of raised with that mentality as well. Uh, we moved down to Florida when I was five, I grew up in Florida. It's that state with Disney world and alligators and the, like literally the weirdest crimes you, you can imagine. Um, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I went to, an Episcopalian school. It was very, um, very sheltered, um, very, uh, I don't want to say closed-minded because it was an art school, but um, I think sheltered is the best word for it. Uh, and uh, But unfortunately, I grew up with a lot of perfectionism in my family. Uh, I did not grow up in, an, in a drinking household. Um, my, my, my parent, I think I, my mom doesn't drink, so, um, because she just can't handle it. And my, my father, I think would have a beer once in a blue moon. So I did not grow up watching it, but I did very much grow up in, in chaos, um, and uncertainty. And I've, you know, over the years, I've learned that it was, it was kind of like living in a, in a dry drunk household, um, where I just always felt like something was wrong and nobody was talking about it. Um, which drove me, you know, batshit really, but it, uh, so when I was, when I was 15, no, when I was 13, I developed like my first addiction. I have been to Europe once I went as a um, French exchange student. I also went to Germany and Austria, but, um, 
I, uh, I kind of looked at everybody smiling and having fun. And I thought, I thought the reason that they were able to do that is because they were thinner than I was. And um, my first addiction began, which was an eating disorder. Uh, so I, be, you know, I built a lot on that, on that rigidity and perfectionism. And, and so that was my first addiction. Um, for, for treatment, for my eating disorder, my parents, um, in true form, didn't want to ha- deal with it. So I was sent to another state to recover. And I ran away from the hospital and I was kidnapped. And um, it's, a, it's a big part of my story, but not in the way that, that people think. Um, it, it was quite traumatizing, um, but I, I was very fortunate to have, uh, to have my day in court. And I put that individual away for his entire life. Um, this little, you know, sheltered kid. What was really the the change in in my life was how my parents then handled that to to fix that situation. I was sent off to Utah uh, to one of these weird, freaky boot camps, these psychological boot camps where. Um, I was taught that that um, that sexual assault was my fault, and I was taught how to um, I was taught how to better my life because of the sin that I had committed. Um, it really just solidified this inner disgust that I that I had been suspect of all along, you know, and I was like, "Yep." they're right. I am tainted. I am different. Um, and they finally, they finally figured it out. So, um, I returned home to Florida. My father was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, uh, and he died within eight months. Um, I, I was kind of lost at that point. My, it was up to me whether I was going to go to college. I spent four years in a community college trying to figure life out. Um, and I finally, uh, I finally went to a four-year university and graduated and then went to graduate school. And I thought that I was, uh, I thought that I was back on track, you know, um, I thought that I was back to as close to normal, you know, as I was going to get. Um, and uh, I met my I met my first husband when, when I was in graduate school and he was wonderful. And I was so excited that this man had picked me. He was the life of the party. He was the one that everyone wanted, you know, to, to attend their social events. Um, he was, you know, he was just this dream come true. And, uh, and he picked me and he wanted to marry me. And I was, uh, I was a heavy drinker at that point. I, you know, I, I could party harder than, um, than men twice my size. And, uh, but I, I didn't drink during the day. And, um, and I was, I was managing graduate school quite well. I had other interests. I, uh, and it was honestly, like it was, it was at this recent dinner that I had with Charlie that, um, that I had this recognition that, or this realization that once my, once my husband became physically abusive, 
Um, Cause there was, you know, that psychological abuse that's that seeped in from the very get go. That's how it starts. Um, you know, I know in working with victims of, of domestic violence that it all, it always starts with psychological abuse first to break down the victim. Um, you know, much like, like a, a predator would use um, venom to paralyze the victim. The predator uses psychological abuse to weaken the victim. And, and so that they're more likely to stay um, when the physical abuse starts. Uh, I've never heard of anybody that says, you know, this guy walked up and punched me in the face and I was in love, you know? <laughs> uh, so uh, the psychological abuse, but once the physical abuse started, kind of got off the, off the rails there. And, and my drinking became not about socializing, not about, you know, anxiety management, stress management, but when it came, when it became, uh, when the purpose was to check out and, and disappear, um, that is when I became an alcoholic. Um, that is when I, I, I crossed over to something I would never come back from. Uh, and and I was a slave. I was I was a slave from that moment. Um, I remember the day that I be that I that I crossed that. I, I I never really drank during the day. I didn't like it. I didn't like how sleepy it made me. Whatever. There was a day that I was sick, um, and uh, you know, uh, my partner um, to become my husband had a Jaeger machine in his kitchen. And he said, you know, that, that it originally started as medicinal, you know, Jaeger did. And, and why don't you go take like some Jaeger and it'll help your stomach. Maybe you'll get some sleep. And I did. And it made me feel fantastic. And I knew, I knew at that moment, I'm in trouble. I am in trouble. Um, and I was absolutely right. I started drinking during the day. I started um, hiding bottles from myself. Um, it was just me and and my fiance in the in the house. And I started hiding bottles. Um, I would plant some outside, uh, you know, as if some elf was going to come and take my liquor. It was so. That's when things just became insanity, you know. Uh, Anyway, the the abuse culminated with um, uh, Charlie probably wasn't expecting this at all. <laughs> the abuse culminated with uh, a shooting. He um, he did in, he came into our house. He was drunk uh, with an AK forty seven, and he opened fire. And um, the the way it was, my mother was scheduled to fly in that next morning. So the way that the, that everything was set up was that it was going to be a murder suicide and she would find the bodies. Um, so, uh, he started with the AK 47 and, um, because he was intoxicated, uh, he missed, um, all eight rounds missed and, um, and he fell to the ground and there was a loaded pistol in the next room surrounded by family photos. Um, and I, I escaped. Um, so that was like the second escape and, uh, of my, of my life. 
and I went, uh, I went to rehab afterwards and, uh, and I liked sobriety, you know, it was kind of cool. I had that pink cloud. I met some other people who drank like me. It sounded like a great idea. I'm going to get sober. This is going to be wonderful. And that lasted about a month. Um, you know, I met who would become my second husband in treatment. Great idea. Right. Um, and like super great idea. Uh, I was just filled with wonderful ideas when I was drinking. Um, so I met him and we were going to, I lived in Florida. And so we were going to move to Ohio uh, to get away from the drugs because he told me that there were less, you know, he was an opiate addict and he, he had family up in Ohio. We were going to, we were going to start this beautiful life. Right. Um, so I, I have my doctorate at this point in time, but I don't have my license. I'm, you know, he and I are living in a Volvo. Uh, he, we, uh, you know, I was, I was very much addicted to alcohol. He was very much addicted to opioids. Um, and it was just, it was again, just chaos. I gathered my, my life together enough to where I, uh, I got a one bedroom apartment and I was working a restaurant and trying to study for my, my boards. Uh, when we found out that Chad was going to be doing two and a half years in, in a Florida prison for forging prescriptions. And it was that same week I found out that I was pregnant. Um, Chad was sent, you know, to do a way to do his time. And I stayed in Ohio and I, um, I had no one, nothing except my alcohol and this child growing inside of my body. And I could not stop drinking. I had heard leads. I had heard leads where, um, you know, women would say, oh, I drank for 20 years. Oh, except when I was pregnant, except when I was pregnant, I, didn't, I magically stopped when I was pregnant. And then I went back to it when that was not the case for me, that the positive result on that pregnancy test was not enough for me to stop drinking. Um, I, I changed to just wine, but that didn't matter. Um, I, you know, I stopped drinking in public, obviously, but, um, so I drank for, I was able to stop for a couple months and, but I drank for a good two months of my pregnancy, the last month of my first trimester and the second month or in the, the last month of my first trimester and the first month of my second trimester, I drank during my pregnancy. And I used to Google, I'd get on the computer and I would Google fetal alcohol syndrome while I was drinking. And I would hope, just hope that this, uh, that the images would shock me into stopping. Um, and, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't, it horrified me. And I went to bed crying every night. I contemplated suicide. Um, but it wasn't enough to stop me from drinking until one day I was doing my normal Google search and this 1-800 number came on, came on the screen. And so I called that 1-800 number and it was a fetal alcohol um, awareness hotline up in Washington, DC. And this lady named Kathy just told me to, to get out of the house, whatever you're doing right now, get out of the house and go find help. 
So I did, I dropped everything and I went to a hospital and I had her on the phone and she was giving me this information and she was, um, she was also communicating with central office at the time in Cincinnati. Uh, and so by the time that I left the ER and I was shipped off to, um, to a treatment center, she had already prepared for these two ladies in AA to show up at the hospital. And they did. They came from central office and um, and they were my only visitors while I was at Beckett Springs. Um, I to me, they were kind of like aliens, you know, from this cult called Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, what did they want with me? What did they want from me? Um, I had nothing to give them. Uh, but they seemed more concerned about what they had to offer. Um, and they took me under their wing and one of them became my sponsor. And, uh, you know, a month later they threw me a baby shower and, uh, I started, I started kind of recognizing that this must be what it's like to, to live a normal life. You know, holy cow, this, this, what, this is, you know, my place. And it wasn't it wasn't easy. I had, um, you know, I did not have a pink cloud at that point. My first, you know, 30, 60 days was misery. I was miserable. Um, but I, I kept going to meetings and, um, about 30 days in, I was able to stop entirely. Um, and I got through, you know, through this connection with my higher power and sponsorship and fellowship, I had about six and a half years under my belt. Um, I built a career. I bought a house. The baby was born unscathed. Um, Chad got out of prison. We had this magical story um, of, of recovery. And, um, and it was just perfect. Everything was wrapped up in this beautiful bow. Um, until my marriage fell apart. And it took about a year of watching everything I had worked for and my sobriety story crumbling before my eyes and finding out how deceitful he had been. Um, and, and, you know, all this stuff from the past, all of this, you know, I had been discovered again, you know, my, my differentness had been discovered again. And I, you know, I again was this outcast and unworthy of, of happiness. Um, and I allowed it to consume me. I allowed it to consume me and I lost, I, I, uh, I wish I could say, uh, you know, that it was, I drank out of depression. No, I also drank out of pride. I drank because I, at some point, reached a moment where I thought, I'll be all right. I'll be able to drink and and this, you know, and I'll be okay. I'll be like, you know, I'm normal now. I'm normal now. It won't be an issue. I have a career. I have kids. There's there's more to lose. There's no way I'd let this get out of, out of hand. Um, I, uh, I almost died, um, not once, but maybe three times of alcohol poisoning. Uh, I lost 
residential custody of my children. I, uh, my license was suspended. My license to practice was suspended. I went to jail for a DUI. I went to jail for probation violation because I was still drinking. Um, and I really thought, I thought that this was, this was, this was it for me. This was, um, the world was, was finally better off without me. Um, I think there were, there were several moments that were the, the turnaround, um, finding my eight-year-old crying. Actually, he was seven at the time, but finding him crying and saying, you know, mommy, I, I just want you to stop drinking. Um, and I was under this, you know, under the many, many lies that alcoholism tells me. One of them was that my kids didn't notice. I was that sick where I thought that they didn't notice that I was vomiting, sleeping, you know, um, manic, uh, depressed. Uh, I didn't, there's no way they know, like, how silly is that? And he's crying and saying, you know, you used to be prettier. You used to be more fun. I just want my mom back. And, um, and I lost a friend, I lost a friend to addiction around that same time. And uh, for some reason, I don't know why it was around that time that, uh, cause I had been, you know, throughout that year of relapse, I had been in and out of treatment. I'd get like a couple weeks or a month or two months under my belt and I'd go back out. Uh, but uh, this go around, I, you know, I've, I've had eight months of, wonderful sobriety. And, um, it seems to be, <laughs> it seems to be sticking this go around. I, I was able to get my license back. Um, I'm in the interview process for, for jobs. Um, I, I think it's fantastic that people, um, people are so forgiving and, um, and understanding and, you know, uh, I was very good at my job. I was very good at my job when I, you know, in the six and a half years that I was sober, I was very good at my job. I came from, I came from a perspective of, of hardship and recovery. And, um, I loved that I could, uh, allow that to be reflected in my interactions with my clients. Um, and I think that they saw it too. So I know, I know that I have, uh, that I have things to offer. I have things to offer and it was wildly selfish of me, um, to, to go back out there and think that I had things under control. Um, that woman in Washington, DC named Kathy, I still keep in touch with her. Um, in fact, she formed a group during COVID called Recovering Mothers Anonymous. And it's the whole group are, are, is composed of women who struggled to stop their use during pregnancy. Some of them were, you know, their story was similar to mine where uh, they were able to find recovery during their pregnancy and the child is fine. Um, and some of them, that's not their story. That's not their journey. And the, and the child um, suffered immensely. Um, but I still go to that. Um, I still go to that meeting, you know, every Thursday night um, that I wasn't working, I would go to that meeting and um, 
it's just another example of how fellowship does not allow me the luxury of saying that I'm special um, and that I have this this right to isolate and have a self, you know, a self-pity party uh, and woe is me. Because I know now, you know, they say sobriety ruins your drinking and it and it does. Um, I know now that there are millions of people just like me. And I I do not have the luxury of thinking I'm alone in this. Um, but Kathy had said something interesting to me in, in recent history about the this uh, this idea of choice. Um, you know, she said that a lot of the world has this, you know, this misconception of what it's like to struggle with addiction, that it's some kind of choice that we make to watch our lives crumble and, you know, watch our health deteriorate and our relationships, uh, implode that, that we're making some kind of choice to not get better. And she said, you know, that's, if you want to look at it as a disease, that's not our choice. That's it's not a choice. It's a symptom. Um, and I guess that to me, I guess there's some kind of forgiveness in in that. Um, that it wasn't like I was making some kind of conscious choice to watch my. Was it a choice to drink? Absolutely. Um, but it wasn't. It was not a choice of mine to, to lose, you know, it was a consequence. Absolutely. But uh, not, a, not a conscious choice to lose my kids and my license and almost my home. Um, this, this disease that I have, um, and maybe I don't, I don't know. I don't know why a relapse had to be a part of my story. I sure as hell wish it weren't. I really wish it weren't. Um, as if I, as if I hadn't had enough, you know. That, but I, I, I just had to do that, right? I had to go out there and, uh, and, and bring this into my story. Um, I'm not exactly sure why relapse had to be a part of my story, but maybe part of it was that I, I needed, for some reason, to understand the severity of this disease. Um, and that it is something that's in me and will always be in me and will never be beaten. Um, the, the, the stronger I get and the weaker my alcoholism gets, the smarter it gets. It stops using strength and it starts using trickery. Um, my disease likes to tell me that um that I got this that I'll be all right you know and my disease likes to tell me that I can't I can't live without it um but I definitely I I know from experience that I can't live with it it is it will be the death of me um it was the death of a very good friend of mine along the way. Uh, I am hoping, like I, I wish that I had a, a, a fantastic, you know, 
like bow on my story like I used to have where I was like and then he gets out of prison and we're in recovery and I built this life and everything's fantastic like I wish I had that really pretty ending um and I don't I don't have that not not yet maybe I won't ever have it there's just I just made such a mess there's too many consequences um but I don't I don't think I think maybe the lesson there is that I don't need it you know it's not always about things ending in this perfect sunshiny um sunshiny story it's about you know for me it's about making the right choice every day and it just as quickly as things crumble it's remarkable to me how fast things can heal when i stay sober how fast things rebuild um and when just when i stay sober it's that it's that simple and that complicated um that the answer is that i have to stay sober um i am very fortunate i have a great I have a wonderful support network. I recognized that I am not immune to asking for help. I think that was also a big part of my problem. I, uh, you know, the, the, my pride that I was the healer, not the, the sick one. Um, so, you know, I didn't ask for help in all the ways that I could have. Um, so that's another big part of my story is to, you know, I want to share to people out there that if there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong in asking for help. There's nothing wrong in, in allowing, you know, allowing yourself the, the humility to, to say, I'm not, I'm not okay right now. Um, and I need, you know, I, I have a therapist now. Um, I have AA, I, I have, you know, my higher power, um, I've got a whole army, you know, on my side, hoping, you know, that I, that I stay better and that I continue to choose the right thing. Um, I also, the reason I share like part of that, you know, the traumatic upbringing is, is um, not, not to like, it's not for shock value whatsoever. Uh, it's, it's really just um, in hopes that anybody anybody out there that feels, you know, that, uh, their story is just too, too bad to warrant, um, recovery. It's not true. Like we, no matter what bottom we have, um, we're, we're all worthy of a second, third, fourth, fifth chance. As long as, um, as long as I'm still breathing, as long as my heart is still beating, um, there's hope, there's hope. Um, and there is, fellowship that that gives me a space in this world to where I'm no longer permitted to wander and say I'm alone um so I want to thank everybody for taking the time to hear my story and um thank you Charlie for asking me to to share